Now you can find, listen and subscribe to Chilling with Jens and the local Danfoss Climate Solution podcast in your RevTools app. Download it from danfoss.com. Service and support. Downloads. Hi, I'm Jens Andersen from Danfoss Climate Solution. Today we're going to pick up on a subject addressed in one of our many webcasts that we at Danfoss have done over the last year about heat pumps. If you want more information, please also search for Danfoss Oil-Free Heat Pumps on YouTube with John Sheff and Drew Turner. You'll also find a Q&A session at the same, on the same subjects recorded the 20th April this year. At the end of this podcast, we also have a short message to our German-speaking audience. With me today, I have Drew Turner from the U.S. Drew, could you please tell us a bit about, about yourself? Yeah, thanks, Jens. Uh, I work as the Global Marketing Manager for Danfoss Sector Integration, uh, which is a change with uh, former focus from uh, TurboCore Compressors and then to Danfoss Oil Free Solutions, but then evolving that to focus on sector integration and specifically the integration of the heating sector with the cooling sector and uh, the electricity, excuse me, the heating sector with the electricity sector via electrification and heat pumps. I've been with Danfoss for going on seven years now, uh, starting with the TurboCore business and moving to that oil-free solutions and then the current position with sector integration. This is after uh, 17 years uh, with an OEM manufacturer before that. Sounds like uh, quite a few things you've you've sort of gathered together here, but that's great. I hope it's a it's a habit challenge you have. Um, yes. Allow me to to turn the angle of of the title of this this interview a bit and and uh, call it energy recycling, Drew. Would you buy into that as well? Uh, absolutely. Uh, our organization title as well, uh, with new climate solutions, uh, reflects the Danfoss focus on the integration of heating and cooling sector, which comes from changing focus from heating and cooling to moving heat, which in turn ties to energy recycling. If you electrify heating with heat pumps and recognize that every chiller is a heat pump and every heat pump is a chiller, The progression is to integrate the two and move from cooling and heating to moving heat with a single system. It is, of course, not always that simple in reality, but the complications are really just details to work out on the technology and system design. Yeah. Um, so how do you actually recycle energy? I mean, uh, it's 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 maybe a... a, a bit easy to, to talk about, but how do you really reuse heat, for instance? Um, can we maybe cut it down into, say, handleable uh, bits and pieces? First of all, how, how would your source be, or what would your source be for, for recycling heat? Yeah, and it's a really critical part of the discussion. Uh, thanks for asking. The We kind of Um, when you talk about source heat and the different sources of them, uh, it's always helpful to group uh, things in general. But how we group them specifically here is into three general categories of low, medium, and high temperature heat sources. Uh, 
Low temperature heat sources are generally less than 10 degrees Celsius and include ambient air and seawater. The ambient air one is, of course, impacted by the fact that you're transferring air, ambient air to refrigerant as opposed to, uh, for example, uh, refrigerant to water and the more efficient heat transfer of that. But that impacts the overall efficiency, which kind of influences the grouping into that category as well. Medium temperature sources, as opposed to that, generally range from about 10 to 30 degrees Celsius and include the what we call the symbiosis cooling return source application. And again, examples such as comfort cooling, industrial cooling, data centers, biogas slurry, wastewater, and geothermal, just as a few examples. Higher temperature heat sources, as opposed to that, are above, in general, above 30 degrees Celsius but too low in most cases for direct use of that heat without boosting through a heat pump. And uh, also include examples such as flue gas exhaust recovery, uh, deeper geothermal sources or uh, higher temperature geothermal sources, and then reciprocating engine jacket water and uh, district heating return as opposed to uh, a district heating source. The grouping is really critical to categorizing the potential heat pump return on investment. Um, every heat pump will get approximately one and a half percent more efficient for every one Kelvin decrease in the differential temperature work that it has to do. And that's really independent of the technology. You can optimize the technology to somewhat decrease that, but it's a pretty universal number or close to it. So a 10 Kelvin increase in, in recovered heat temperature should correspond with about a 15% increase in heat pump efficiency, which in turn means a faster heat pump system payback. So that grouping becomes critical because as you go from that low to that medium to that higher temperature heat recovery heat source category, you're getting more efficient and you're decreasing the payback time for that heat pump investment. It's, it, it sounds a bit complicated, but but let's let's dive into uh, say <clears throat> one of the examples you mentioned data centers, for instance. Uh, so instead of, of just uh, you could say f release waste uh, heat into to the air or wherever it goes, how do you actually how do you uh, well reuse that? Could you please explain? Yeah. So uh, basically you recover it, right? Yeah. <laughs> but the, the, the complication is in how you recover okay. it. If, if you're using crack units or uh, computer room air conditioner units on a data center, it's much harder to recover because you're generally trying to recover it from the air side exhaust. But if you're using chilled water uh, for that data center, it becomes much easier to recover. And data centers are a perfect example. Uh, because the average cooling temperatures used in them have increased about 20 Kelvin over the last 20 years. So going back to the previous discussion, uh, this means that a heat pump implemented to recover cooling heat will be about 30% more efficient than it would have been if implemented in a data center system 20 years ago because of that increase in the cooling temperatures. This is a, as opposed to what you mentioned in the question and what data centers normally do, which is exhaust the heat to ambient air. The optimal recovery method to make it useful is to tie it into the data center cooling return water uh, and tie that into a water to water heat pump instead of a traditional chiller. So basically what you're doing 
is retrofitting to a traditional data center cooling system, adding the water to water heat pumps in it, in the chilled water return upstream of the existing chillers, preferentially loading the water to water heat pumps and setting the control based on the condenser leaving water temperature instead of evaporator leaving water controlled for the data center. And then relegating those existing chillers, which are set to the chilled leaving water temperature to backup covering the cooling load only when the heat demand is not high enough uh, or is not higher than the cooling demand. And uh, of course, all data centers or data centers and all critical facilities in general, which is a major focus for us, uh, they love backup systems. They, they build in, you know, N plus one is, is kind of the, the, the design mode for data centers uh, as far as redundancy. And so if you can take their existing old inefficient uh, cooling infrastructure and relegate it to a backup system, then that's uh, there's a double benefit there. Yeah. This, of course, though, requires that the condenser heat rejection temperature increases to provide the heat at a useful temperature. So if you're going to recover the heat and you're going to make it at a useful temperature for a district energy system, for example, uh, then you have to account for that in terms of the overall efficiency. Uh, and the increase uh, versus what was required in general to reject the heat to the ambient air is approximately about 20 Kelvin. So that, if you remember back what we were just uh, mentioning, 20 years ago, they were cooling at 20 degrees Kelvin lower temperature for the average data center. So that increase roughly corresponds with that increase in the cooling temperature itself that's happened over the last 20 years. So you increase the cooling temperature by 20 Kelvin, but you're increasing the heat rejection temperature by roughly 20 Kelvin. So it ends up being at about the same efficiency as what you were doing the cooling at 20 years ago for a data center. But now you're also benefiting from that recovered heat to the district energy system. And, uh, and of course, uh, in terms of the calculation of the overall efficiency, that weighs in as well, because you weigh in that uh, recovered heat into the calculation of the overall efficiency of the system. Yeah, I see. I see. But but you still have to add some energy to, to do the uh, energy uh, recovery, right? So uh, what, what is the, the rate of um, say energy you need to use to uh, recover energy. Are there any specific uh, formula or other sort of a rule of thumb? Yeah, yeah um, you know, you generally you're going to get about six uh, kW for every one kW that you spend in terms of energy use. Uh, that's based on the efficiency of the heat pump, but it's really highly dependent on what we were just discussing, which is, of course, the the combination of the source temperature and the supply temperature. Yeah. So uh, that that um, that changes quickly with that 1.5% uh, uh, change in efficiency for every 1K change in the temperature differential. So, but it's it's roughly a, uh, correct as a generalization. But as uh, this is, it, it's also in turn dependent on both the recovered heat source and the heat supply or heat forward, as I mentioned. Mm -hmm. That general ratio can significantly decrease if, for example, 
recovering heat from seawater at five degrees Celsius wintertime temperatures instead of 25 degrees Celsius uh, for the data center example given. And tying into the district heating transmission lines with 75 degrees Celsius demand uh, or heat forward temperatures as opposed to the distribution lines, which operate at about 65 degrees Celsius, just to give a few or a couple examples. Mm. But continuing with that district heating example, it also depends on the district heating return water temperature. As in the associated system architecture and combination of compressors utilized with the varying uh, temperature optimizations of them. With these with the technology that we're advocating for these applications today, which is, the, of course, the TurboCore technology, there are three main optimizations of those compressor designs, uh, a low, a medium, and a high differential temperature optimization. The combination of those, or using different combinations of those, gives you the most efficient heat pump system, which in turn means that you can decrease that 1.5% loss in efficiency that you have for one, every 1K differential increase to something more like 1% or closer to 1%. But the goal of mixing those uh, in a heat pump system is, for example, li limit that to, to, to limit that loss in efficiency. Doing this, though, depends on the district heating return water temperature coming in lower, for example, at 40 degrees Celsius instead of at 50 degrees Celsius. This is what district heating utilities have been trying to do for a long time now. But the, the major point here is that it all ties together. What you're doing in improving the efficiency of the demand side of a district heating system, for example, is also going to impact what you get in terms of the efficiency of the heat plant or the district, uh, the heat pumps implemented in a district heating system. So if you can lower that temperature down from 50 degrees to 40 degrees uh, Celsius, then at the same time, you're going to be able to implement our medium lift optimized compressor designs uh, on the low stage of a heat pump uh, plant. And then the high lift optimized compressor designs on the high stage of that district heating heat pump plant, which in turn is going to be a more efficient overall heat pump system. But it also enables a more efficient water side configuration, such as a series series counterflow heat pump arrangement. So if you're going to use the medium lift compressors on the low stage and then the high lift compressors on high stage, those need to be different heat pump designs. And the way you arrange those water side is a series series counterflow arrangement so that that lower district heating return water goes through the first one in the low stage and the medium lift compressors uh, first and then the high lift on the high stage on second. But, but that lower district heating return water temperature depends on implementing demand side strategies to improve the efficiency of it, including water pump, variable speed drives, two-way pressure independent control valves, and efficient heat transfer stations, all of which Danfoss also provides. But also the district heating efficiency optimi optimization control strategies as well, uh, such as lean heat. Finally, replacing those old inefficient radiators, which provide about uh, heat at about 55 degrees Celsius hot water temperature and replacing them with much more efficient lower temperature underfloor heating, providing the same amount of heat, but at about 35 degrees Celsius warm water temperature. Uh, but it, it, this, this staging that you were talking about, um, 
does that mean that you can actually also sort of tap into uh, in between the stage? Uh, say, if you have uh, 35 degrees uh, uh, Celsius uh, demand somewhere and you have another uh, demand at a at another place, say uh, 60 degrees for, for hygiene water, for instance. How does it work? Yeah, it, it absolutely is a possibility. And um, theoretically, that's one of the benefits of this technology and the staging, the waterside staging of them, is that you can tap into those in-between stages uh, if, if, if it meets with the demand-side requirements. You're generally not going to do that on a district heating configuration uh, because of the isolation of those heat pumps. But with an individual building heat pump system, it absolutely is an opportunity. For example, to if you're boosting in the first stage from 45 degrees Celsius to 55 degrees Celsius, and then 55 degrees Celsius to 65 degrees Celsius, or even lower, say starting out at 35 and going to 45, 45 to 55. That underfloor heating, the demand side for that could be met at that 45 degrees Celsius intermediate stage. So you can valve in with a three-way valve and take the heat out of that to then supply the heat for the underfloor heating to then return back to the second stage uh, and boost it up to the 55 or higher uh, in periodic operation above 60 degrees Celsius required to uh, eliminate the potential of Legionella in a domestic water application. Mm. That absolutely is a, is, a, is a very good question because it is, is definitely an opportunity with the technology. Yeah, but uh, well, you, you, you also mentioned it basically, the, the, just, to, just to get the, the, the perspective into to place. I mean, we're, we're definitely not talking about a, a, a single family domestic house, right? We're talking about multi-family houses or even, like you said, district heating. Um, but where are, you could say, where, where have we been working with the TurboCore uh, system so far, the, the oil free system? Where, where have you done the most work, so to speak? Where we've done the most work, that's a, that's a good question. So um, TurboCore has been around for about 25 years now. It was originally invented by a service contractor in Australia 25 years ago. Since that time, we've had over, I, I think actually we hit the 85,000 mark recently. 85,000 compressors installed, but about 95% of those have been in cooling applications. So uh, it, the, the number that has been used historically for heating applications is pretty limited just because uh, the capability of the compressors to do the more challenging heating operating temperature requirements has been very limited. But more recently, we've expanded into uh, higher temperature or higher differential temperature capabilities and enabling the capability to bring the same benefits of this technology that we've uh, seen become very much valued in the cooling market into the heating market. Um, Drew, just to jump a bit in it, uh, the, the different things we talk about. You just recently had a live stream with a live audience uh, who was asking a lot of questions. Um, there was a lot of comments, feedbacks, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But what did you consider the most interesting topics that that were, say, 
generated by the audience at that time. Yeah, there was, uh, Jens, there was lots of good questions. Uh, it was a very interactive session, which was, uh, mm. it was, was definitely uh, satisfying from our standpoint or from my standpoint. But one item that was touched on, which I do believe uh, deserves more focus, is part load and part lift efficiency and shifting focus also to this. The battle in the cooling market over the last 20 years has been shifting focus away from full load efficiency into part load efficiency because the reality of the application is that they almost never operate at full load efficiency. It's more common in going back to the district heating example. If you're going to base load a heat pump for district heating, and which is the ultimately the target, then you're by nature being the base load going to operate at high load. But that doesn't mean that you're always going to operate at high lift, both of which are very critical to the payback of this technology. So, for example, if you're using wastewater as a heat source and uh, your design day and design COP, which is what the evaluation is based on, is based on that minimal wastewater temperature on the coldest January day at five degrees Celsius or so. Mm -hmm. That efficiency is going to be very different than it is at the 15 degrees Celsius, which is the normal summer wastewater mm -hmm. heat recovery temperature. And so that becomes extremely critical. And then for other applications, uh, this goes for uh, not, nothing is constant, including heating, right? Uh, mm -hmm. This goes for the heat source as well. But the fossil fuel-based solutions, which have been provided to heating applications in the past, have not been optimized to off-design conditions, which has really driven the manufacturers of those fossil fuel-based heating sources to focus the market on full load or coefficient of performance equipment efficiency for that comparison. Uh, previously, we discussed that the full load efficiency or discussed the full load efficiency of heat pumps. The least efficient point for a heat pump in general, and especially for our technology, is going to be the full load point. So in general, the full load efficiency of our technology is going to be better than most competition. But the bigger benefit or the bigger differential in terms of the benefit of our technology is going to be in the off design or part load conditions. Mm. As you get relief either from an increase in the heat source temperature or a decrease in the heat supply temperature, the heat pump gets significantly more efficient, as covered earlier. Yeah. Additionally, as the load changes, but dependent on the heat pump technology utilized, a decrease in load will also drive an increase in the heat pump efficiency. So the combination of those two, lift and load, mean that it gets more efficient uh, in those off-design conditions. But that's the this is dependent on the technology utilized mainly based on whether or not the compressor incorporates a variable speed drive and every turbocore compressor and all oil-free uh, danfoss based equipment in, has a built-in variable speed drive which increases that efficiency performance in both part load and part lift application conditions it is critical that these off design conditions and this is the major point ends is that as opposed to just doing that performance evaluation based on the full load point. Uh, it's really critical to do that life cycle evaluation based in, on including those off-design conditions. Yeah. So long ago, we had a discussion with some of our friends in, in France exactly about this 
operation of 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 uh, this was the uh, scroll compressors we talked about and and the uh, the the benefit of variable speeds etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, but let's let's just dive a bit into the technical side of things i mean if we look at the turbo core uh, it's a it's a it's a centrifugal compressor so to speak of uh, what are what else are there to to uh, talk about in, in in terms of 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 the Danfoss turbo core i mean uh, one thing is that it's it's oil free but how do, how does that work so the oil free that's a really good question because the oil free was the goal of the invention of the technology but it was the technology choices that were used to enable it that were really critical. So when this was invented, when the guy who invented it came up with the concept, he did it based on that goal of going oil-free. And, the, and the, the, the issue that he was trying to address is the lack of reliability and the failures that are associated with an oil management system in a chiller uh, at the time. And, and so how you enable that to your question is by going contact free, both on the compression side as well as the back end supporting it or the bearing system. How you go contact free on the compression side is by going dynamic as opposed to positive displacement. So dynamic compression includes centrifugal and axial. Axial and centrifugal are pretty similar, but what you're doing is you're throwing the refrigerant to increase the uh, kinetic energy as opposed to squeezing it to increase the potential energy. And so they're very different uh, just from a conceptual design standpoint versus the positive displacement, which is a majority of the other tech, uh, technology out there. The back end, the bearing system is magnetic bearings. So to go oil-free on the bearing system, you actually have a, a few different choices. At the time, magnetic bearings were being experimented. When, when the inventor came up with this technology, at the time, magnetic bearings were being experimented with in the oil and gas industry. And he saw that and he said, eventually it's going to get to the point where that's going to make sense for, for a commercial product as well from a cost standpoint. And so he was betting on that. But uh, that's what enables the oil-free operation on the backside of the compressor. But the combination is you have no contact on the front side or the back side, which in turn enables going oil-free. Yeah. So uh, magnetic bearings, uh, variable speed or speed uh, controls. Uh, I guess it, it'll take a lot of, uh, yeah, measurement so to speak the the, the sensor uh, placement around in the system i guess is that the case i mean you you, you it won't operate on its own i guess um, exactly yeah. yeah that's a very good question as well so you have two sets of uh two general sets of magnets you have permanent magnets and you have trim magnets the trim magnets are what's controlled so permanent magnet means as soon as you power it uh, as soon as you power the compressor, it levitates. Mm. But as you start to speed it up to develop the differential pressure for uh, and the differential temperature associated with uh, uh, chiller applications and then continuing up to higher speed and higher differential temperature and pressure for heat pump applications, you're dealing with a larger set of forces. 
And those trim magnets become very critical to that. What you're doing is you have sensors in that system that sense the position of the shaft uh, at some ridiculous number, 10,000 times a second or something like that, mm. and feeds it back to the compressor controller, which then feeds back to reposition those or to energize those trim magnets to reposition the shaft to make sure it maintains center. But yeah, that's, that's exactly what happens is you have a set of sensors that measure that real time uh, extremely fast to reposition the shaft so that it maintains its position. Uh, is that correct that you can actually hear this at startup, that it will actually sort of, as it speeds up, you can actually hear that it will adjust the uh, the shaft? Yeah, yeah. It, it's actually, inter it's very interesting to listen to. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I uh, was speaking to some of the uh, installers. The you could say they they were used to uh, yeah both scrolls and recips, so uh, they were quite in. Uh, they were quite taken by the by the um, uh, turbo sound of, of, of the turbo core once they started it up the first time. That was quite an experience for the guys. Um, Speaking about uh, service and, and so on and so forth, uh, do we have at Danfoss uh, sources for, say, how to maintain, how to service, repair, et cetera, et cetera? Do we have any, um, say, uh, place where you can go and find these things? Absolutely. Yeah, the, we, we, have, um, we have a app that you go to for frequently asked questions around TurboCore. We have YouTube videos, which can help with pretty much any subject of uh, potential issues that you'll experience. Uh, and then we have our, our standard service training that we do uh, mainly through our OEM customers, uh, but we'll do them in conjunction with our OEM customers to end customers as well. But yeah, there's a, a plethora, <laughs> excuse me, but a plethora of tools uh, to, to help with uh it, it, and actually, that's a really good question, too, because, uh, you know, just like any specialized technology, you know, one of the benefits of this technology is that it should be lower maintenance. But the, the knowledge around it is still specialized because it's different than uh, it, basically any other technology that's out there. And so the va there's a value in that knowledge. And um, it, it's a critical factor that not only the improved reliability, but also the specialized skills uh, for being able to service the compressor. We try to enable making that very simple to get that knowledge, but at the same time, it's still considered specialized knowledge. You're going to generally have one TurboCore expert within a service organization that's really going to know uh, the technology. Mm. Yeah, but I guess that's, well, even though it's, what is it? Twenty twenty-five years old now. It's 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 still a new uh, technology in the branch, I guess, or in the business. Sorry. Uh, so yeah, and and uh, I, I I know the same happened also with the electronics. Once the electronic controls were introduced to, you know, the out of cool stuff was introduced to the market way back. Uh, it took a while before it actually sort of came through and and were generally accepted by by our uh, customers but uh, I guess that's that's what it is I mean 
it's it's technological achievements all the way through and new things to work with etc 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 so exactly yeah but uh, drew thank you so much for for taking your time it was a pleasure and it was very uh, interesting this this uh, discussion and i'm sure that uh, i may return again someday with a lot of other questions around the the uh, oil free uh, heat pumps etc so uh, thank you so much uh, drew for for your time yeah thank you very much jens thanks for the opportunity and i hope uh I hope we do have that opportunity in the future as well. We sure will. Thank you so much. Now for the pr promised short message to our German-speaking audience. I have Jörg Saar online. Hi, Jörg. How are you doing? Hey. Hi, Jens. I'm, I'm fine. Thank you. All, all good on my side. Jörg, es gibt Gerüchte über einen deutschsprachigen Danfoss-Podcast. Kannst du uns ein bisschen darüber erzählen? Ja, sehr gern, Jens. Und es sind Gerüchte, die keine Gerüchte sind, sondern das stimmt. Ja, es gibt jetzt einen deutschsprachigen Podcast von Danfoss. Dieser Podcast heißt Kältekreisläufer. Ganz klar, warum der so heißt. Auch hier geht es um kältetechnische Themen. Also alles, was sich irgendwie mit Kältetechnik beschäftigt und was mit Kältetechnik zu tun hat. Die Idee an diesem Podcast ist, jeden Monat mindestens einen Podcast zu veröffentlichen. Und es wird um Themen gehen wie Abtauung, wie verschiedenste Kältemittel. Sicherlich werden wir auch mal über Normung sprechen. Also welche Füllmengen sind denn wo erlaubt? Auch grundsätzliche Punkte, sagen wir Gleit die das hat eben jetzt auch häufig diskutiert wird. Und wie bei deinem Podcast auch, ist die Idee, dann mit Gästen über diese Punkte zu sprechen. Ich habe die Ehre, dann der Gastgeber zu sein. Also wie du das machst, werde ich dann halt eben auch derjenige sein, der Fragen stellt und dann mit Gästen über diese Themen sprechen. Der erste Podcast ist sogar schon online, lässt sich also auch auf den bekannten Portalen finden. Und bei dem ersten geht es zum einen so ein, darum, so eine kleine Intro zu mir selbst zu geben, wer ich dann überhaupt bin. Aber das Hauptthema dieses ersten Podcasts ist halt eben hydraulischer Schlag in Kälteanlagen. Okay, ja. Yeah. Hört sich aber gut an, Jörg. Dankeschön. Jörg, wir sprechen uns später, ne? Vielen Dank an dich, Jens. Wir sprechen uns. Danke. Tschüss. Just a few more words on facts and features about oil-free heat pumps and compressors in particular. On our website, you will find access to some 15 classes about TurboCore. Just go to danfoss.com, click on Service and Support, and Danfoss Learning. Then you can scroll down to click where it says Browse our learning catalogue and you simply search for TurboCall. You can also find a lot of other material on our website. Just search for oil-free heat pumps on our website and you should be able to find quite some material like dedicated website stories, brochures and obviously a lot of technical details. So go ahead, immerse yourself in all the techniques related to TurboCall and the, and the oil-free technology. 
Thank you for listening, and please let us know how you like the podcast, and feel free to suggest future topics, themes, and insights that you'd like us to dig deeper into. But above all, remember to stay cool.